All right, good day and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So this evening, as we're recording this episode, this is going to be a part two session. In the entire history of this show over the past, I think it's almost seven years now, I have had very few double episodes, and I am purposely making sure we release this as a part two right after part one to really tie this together because it has been a hot minute since my guest co-host and I were able to catch up. And there were some things he wasn't able to chat about last time, and now he can. So that's why we're going to tie these two together. Uh, But for those of you who've already listened to part one, which has released right before this episode, uh, this is the author of the Mitochondriac Manifesto. And the other book is the, I'm officially showing this for the YouTube watchers, The Gut Brain Secrets. And today we're going to chat a little bit about the theme here of the real food wave. Part one, uh, I'm going to use that title in both episodes, but uh, we talked a lot about you know him being and other others out there being citizen scientists. I'd like to refer to myself as one of them, and you know he's also known as the Mito Man. And, and we originally were chatting about like this project to restore food quality, but we're tying it all together now today with the real food wave. And I'd like to welcome back our guest co-host, Rod, <coughs> excuse me, Randy Lee. Welcome, sir. Hi, Scott. Good to be here. How you doing? I'm doing great. And I'm excited because you can chat more about things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to give you the hot mic right off the bat. And why don't you catch up maybe some newer listeners who didn't actually listen to part one, because that way they're going to go back now and listen to part one, because in case they subscribe to the show and just found part two, they got to go back to the prior episode and get part one and tie it all together, or maybe pause right now, ladies and gentlemen, and go back and listen to part one right, right before this so you could tie it all together properly. Uh, so why don't you catch up the listeners on who you are and why we're on the show today and why you're coming on as my guest co-host, because I, I see you as a fellow geek and genius around health and nutrition. So, Okay, great. Well... Um, in the last episode, we were talking about um, food quality and um, in researching what to say about gut brain secrets, when I do interviews, I ran across a, a better way to put it in context. So I originally wrote it with the intention of writing about uh, ADD and autism and what we call gaps conditions. Uh, and Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride talks about psychological disturbances being originating in the gut. And so in talking about these issues, um, you have to go back to food quality and the sources of where all these problems in the body um, originate physiologically. You know, the gut, gut disturbances, leaky gut, glyphosate, um, a disrupted microbiome, all those things cause um, biochemical imbalances, and then they cause psychological disturbances, they cause autoimmune issues, They cause um, all kinds of chronic disease um, at a foundational level. So in going back to the food issue, um, I ran across a a guy named Dan Kittredge of the Bionutrient Food Association, who has been working on uh, food projects and uh, working with farmers to figure out what farming practices uh, create the best food. And uh, you can see this website up here that Scott's showing. Yes, bionutrient.org. Yeah, bionutrient.org. Dan talks a lot about nutrient density. Um, Well, let me back up. Food quality, we define uh, as nutrient density and toxin load. 
you know, very simple nutrients. And the what's happened in the last 80 to 100 years is the USDA has been measuring the uh, nutritional quality of our of uh, fruits and vegetables. And what they've shown everyone, you know, this is no surprise that nutrient quality has declined steadily over the last 80 years. So food today has virtually none of the medicinal qualities it used to have. And the nutritional quality is demonstrably lower. And they've been keeping track of this. And I contend, as most people uh, in the um, in the health and healing field contend, the nutritional value of food um, basically causes all these chronic diseases and mental disturbances. Hmm. And so what they've done, this is really exciting. Um, they are about six years into developing the technology whereby you can see the nutritional value of the vegetable or fruit right there on the spot. You can zap um, a cucumber or um, a peach or something and determine what it, uh, the nu nutritional value right there in the field as it's growing or later on in the distribution chain. Um, so chefs can see the nutritional uh, content, uh, buyers and end consumers when they're at the store. Hmm. And so this changes the game completely when you can see, and you don't have to trust a label like an organic label or a non-GMO project verified. It changes everything completely um, because you can't hide anything. You can't hide behind a label. And what they've actually shown is that uh, the data is showing they've been collecting, or let me, let me back up. They've actually developed a device and they've released it in the last two or three years that allow you to see, um, uh, hold on, let me gather my so thoughts for a second. Is it like a, a micronutrient density scanning tech? Or because uh, I'm all about a geek about technology, I'm, I I know that from an engineering and technology standpoint, it's pretty impressive what we've already accomplished and what we're already putting out there in the market, in the mainstream. But obviously, this is not mainstream yet. This is definitely a very small audience that has been able to get access to this tech, right? Yeah. So far, it's been released to um, just the beta users, kind of. Um, it, it's on the market, and they are. Uh, testing fruits in, and vegetables in the field, they're collecting the data and they're correlating that with farming practices. Mm -hmm. And they're collecting all this information in a, in a nonprofit database. So they're the, the people who are going to determine what, which farming practices lead to enhanced nutrition. And they're going to be educating the farmers as to uh, what they should do if... Uh, they find their stuff isn't growing optimally. Um, you know, in the middle of the season, they can oh, it needs needs more chromium or it needs more this or that or water. Something they're doing. I'm excited by that just whole theme because there's already a lot of other things out there happening, which is exciting. Because uh, for those of you listening to the show for a long time, I grew up on a farm. Now, granted, my family didn't do the actual uh, tending of the fields. We outsourced it to other friends that were nearby other farms. We just owned the land and we focused on animals and such of that nature. And and my 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 father and his father and my brother, they're all in that, you know, livestock management and markets and all that world. So it was, I always knew that from a long time ago, and now it's making a comeback. Things like 
okay, maybe we don't need to crack the soil is the quotation, right? So you don't need to plow as much, which is releasing too much, uh, you know, healthy microbes, you know, into the air and, and disrupting the soil health. So for example, to your point, right? Like, okay, great. I'm a farm paying for the organic badge of approval or the non-GMO badge of approval, which again, yes, you have to pay for these certifications. You have to pay for these brands and these logos that you could put on your food. But back to your point here on this theme here, well, does that mean it's automatically nutrient dense compared to the farm who can't afford to pay for the organic badge, right? So, okay, well, maybe there's a farm using old school farming practices, keeping things super nutrient dense. They're not able to pay for the badge, but they are following the same practices. And then I could walk up with a, with a scanning tech while they, before they even taken the farm product and put it into a market and automatically scan and say, wow, look, look at the nutrient density as this thing is still growing. And then obviously fast forward, like you're saying, I could be a chef in a high-end, super healthy nut restaurant or grocery and go to these big markets or go to these sourcing companies and say, well, hold on, I got to scan this stuff. I want to test the nutrient density. You know, is everything there that I want to see? Is everything, is everything there? that the human body, you know, should be getting out of, out of this produce, these vegetables, et cetera. Yeah. It's interesting. You should bring that up because what they're discovering is people assume that organic means it's more nutritious, but no, it actually is not. The data is showing that it's actually below average. Mm. The certified organic is below average, but the uncertified organic is that, you know, when the farmers adhere to certain practices, they actually grow above average nutritional, um, produce. Very exciting. And, uh, yes. So they've, they've shown things like cover cropping and, uh, various other practices will, you know, produce, um, stuff that is just across the board, good or bad, like, um, hydroponic is, is shown to be below average. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this is very interesting because when you uh, return to the ancestral farming practices, you are also going to return to the ancestral results we used to get mm. when obesity was uncommon, cancer was rare, uh, heart disease was rare, all this stuff. So imagine a world where chronic disease almost didn't exist. And a lot of people go, oh, that's crazy. How can you even make that claim? Well, Easily. <laughs> what what were our results in the year 1800? That's it, It's just the way it was back then, and it was nor normal yeah. because all food was organic and all food had um, ancestral levels of nutrition. Well, again, but what if you we're trace gonna... it far enough back, uh, the old, you know, the original ways of farming, we would allow animals to run free. They would be passing manure into the soil naturally, things like chickens. And, and actually, it's funny, right? They would have beef go, beef go through a field, you know, just grazing. And then they would move on to the next pasture. And then they would let chickens, for example, come through because they love to scratch and pick through all that stuff. And that helps break it up into the soil. And then that stuff just breaks down naturally, gets absorbed in the soil after rain and winters and things of that nature. And then again, to your point, cover cropping, right? Okay, maybe I don't actually have to plow it, right? Because there's already a natural absorption there. And if there's natural grasslands and grasses already growing, those root systems are keeping the soil super rich and intact. It's not blowing away in the wind because we've had major issues with, you know, healthy soils and proper nutrient density within the soil, which all these plants need, right? And that's what the animals are eating and vice versa. Yeah, tillage and plowage are one of the farming practices that they've uh, measured and it definitely reduces the uh, microbial content in the soil, which thereby reduces the nutritional content because it's the microbes in the soil that 
assemble those um, compounds into, let's say, 50 or 100 elements. And then the plant takes those compounds and assembles them into the higher order compounds that offer us uh, medicinal qualities. Mm -hmm. They make foods taste good. And so that's why I say the entire food supply is about to be upgraded because all of this um, this new paradigm is not going to be driven by one company. It's going to be driven by consumers' taste and their buying power. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm telling people that within the next few years, um, it, it will become unstoppable because a word's going to get out that um, certain farmers are growing better um, produce than others, which you could either eat, um, you know, straight, or that stuff is also going to go into uh, packaged products. So even the commercial companies, the food companies, uh, their food is going to be, uh, there's going to be tremendous pressure to increase nutritional content in, you know, things like Cheerios too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, very interesting because... Again, only because I grew up in that world, I saw that these transitions, right? Things of uh, changing up the types of crops that were grown for years uh, to help, you know, animal growth and stuff like that, and nutri the nutrient density, and you know, things like beef and stuff like that. And then they've changed that over the years. And then now you hear all kinds of, uh, you know, stories about. And this is not now. This has been going on for decades. Where again, farmers fields, they were they, great sales and marketing professionals came in there and said, oh, well, such and such corporation now makes the best fertilizer on the market and the best seed on the market. And this is what you have to be using. And they started uh, straying away from, you know, the natural management of the land, right? Things that were, like you said, the ancestral practices that always kept, you know, nutrient density at a high in our soils, which then passes through uh, to the plants and everything else that's happening in this, in the food chain process. And so to your point is like, well, wait a minute, if I'm a consumer and I now don't have to spend a lot of money on this expensive organic badge or this non-GMO badge uh, food source, which has a low nutrient density and probably tastes like butt. <laughs> now I get to support this small farmer who chose to go back to the ancestral ways, bring natural nutrient density back into the food so it tastes good. And I have a way to prove it. Well, yeah, to your point, we've just not just leveled up the food supply. We've leveled up people's health. And we've leveled up small businesses, a.k.a. the small bar, uh, farms. Uh, the corporations are not going to be happy. <laughs> I don't know, Randy. I feel like there's going to be some fights going on here. So, Because we know how, how much uh, money's getting thrown around in this industry. Yeah, the major change there is, is there's a fundamental shift coming. The, we used to reward farmers based on volume, you know, just raw tonnage. Mm -hmm. And now the entire industry is going to shift to reward the farmers for growing um, in in better ways, and we're going to reward them based on nutrition. Mm. Uh, so that's like it, it was always the biggest problem, you know. How are we going to reward them for doing the right thing? Yeah, the farmers, and uh, that's another big driver in this whole uh, shift. Uh, it's coming. It's it's interesting because we've known about this for a while. Uh, I remember it's got to be almost 10 years ago, maybe eight to 10 years ago. I attended a talk a, a while back and I remember because it stuck in my head and they said at that time, it had already been studied like two years before that talk, but they said basically take a bowl of spinach today. And this is again, so go back eight, 10 years ago. What are we looking at? Maybe 2010, 2012 window. And that talk I attended, they said, hey, take a bowl of spinach at that time and compare it to 
just eight to 10 years before that. And they were saying, proven that you would need, I think it was at least eight bowls of the same spinach volume to be equal to what it was eight to 10 years before that. Well, heck, now fast forward to today, what is that, 16? I mean, I don't know the math. We, I don't have a way of testing or, or now analyzing, but they already knew it a decade ago that, hey, wow, we're not getting the same nutrient density out of that bowl of spinach. That was just spinach they were talking about. Uh, so to your point, well, if I, can get, if I can get a net gain of nutrient density out of less food and it tastes better, well, that's a game changer. We're not, we don't want to focus on that volume that you're talking about. Let's get the quality out of that, which is what the human body needs. You will automatically be healthier. And uh, I think I might've mentioned it in the first episode, but what they've discovered based on actual data is that the lower level nutritional components, the minerals are about five to 10 times it difference between the poorest quality and the best quality. Wow. Now think about that. If it were only 50% better, that's a massive improvement. I, I, most people can't even conceptualize 10 times the amount. Um, well, that's like making a superfood out of the food. You're basically restoring it to its natural state. But I guess in the modern marketing world, we'd call that a superfood. But we're like, no, no, no. Right. We, we, we have to call it a superfood now because it's gotten so bad. But if we restore it to its full-blown potency with higher nutrient mm-hmm. density, you don't need to call it a superfood. You just It's almost like an ancestral food. Yeah. So, but check this out, Scott. The higher order compounds that correlate with taste. Yeah. Uh, we, we, our human biology is is programmed to seek out the, these higher order compounds: the antioxidants, polyphenols, alkaloids, terpenes. Those are showing a difference of fifty to three hundred and fifty times. Wow. Which is it's just mind blowing. You know, one one leaf of spinach versus three hundred and fifty leaves to to get some of these rarer compounds which basically we've depleted them so they have none of these at all mm-hmm. and and hence we you know we have companies like bear buying um roundup yeah because they know yeah. if you have no nutrition in your food then you know they have more bigger markets to sell their drugs of course oh it's it's crazy again a few years back definitely not as far as the last little story but uh there was uh, a college had tested like and i'll, I'll just go and generalize and call it factory farmed or uh, factory orchards of oranges for example and they mm-hmm. literally found zero vitamin c in that orange and it gets like what is oranges known for right because oh you got to drink your oj which nowadays is basically a a, a container full of sugar but that they were just testing oranges because people were trying to justify, oh, you eat fruit every day. And they're like, yeah, well, guess what? That orange, the average orange you're getting, you would need so much more of that because even something as simple as vitamin C and that component and the calcium density is not there. And then it takes uh, the factory or these big corporations producing the oranges and making the, you know, the store-bought OJ, for example, they got to add stuff in. You know, that's why, like, oh, it's been, it's been fortified with calcium. You know, uh, well, it's like, should do you really need to fortify it if it was already grown at its full potency, right? It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's like a half-truth. You know, what <laughs> Jack Cruz calls half-truths turn into full lies. And so they replete them with, um, the, you know, first they deplete it with their processing of uh, um, grains and stuff. And then they put all these stuff back or else it would be even more... Um, 
nutritionally deficient than it already is. Mm -hmm. So they can put something on the label. But what I'm saying is the entire industry is moving beyond the labels where they're going to have um, the ability to see all these rare earth minerals and higher order compounds and um, they can report that in real time. So, you know, you go to a store and you hear that this week, this particular product, this butter or this milk is um, better than the next one, then the better stuff's going to fly off the shelf and the other stuff's going <laughs> to languish. And it's going to sit there. And that's where the pressure comes uh, because of our buying behavior mm -hmm. that the food companies and food processors and everyone along the, the supply chain is, is going to be encouraged gently encouraged to to get with the program. I, I would love to see a reprogramming of the so-called, whatever we call the grid that's on all the packaging, because that's a lot of false data too. And finally have that grid of nutritional facts or nutritional data dictate, like you're saying, right? Okay, well, here's the actual density. You know, this is, uh, and again, to be fair, what you're saying is this, this will take time to continue to restore the food supply and get more uh, buy-in from farms and everybody else who's following these better practices to get things back up to where they used to be, and if not better, but it'll be great to see that. So people also have to start learning, okay, well, what I see today, thanks to these massive shifts, is probably going to be even better in six months and in 12 months as we continuously flip the coin, so to speak. Uh, that's exciting. And also, it's just a fun way until the obviously the, the branding and the packaging starts reflecting that this technology you're referring to uh, will at least help those of us who care enough to get a hold of it. That'll help us get us from the finish line sooner until we can shift the industries to start realizing this is what we need to be sharing. This is what we need to be educating people on is nutrient density, not just, you know, fluffy nutritional facts that don't really do anything for you. Yeah, let me go a little bit into how that is going to look in the next few years. Cool. Um, so over the next three to five years, a lot of this stuff is going to be happening in the background as they collect the data and they share the best farming practices with the farmers and educate the entire industry that this new paradigm is already upon us. Um, so the early adopters in the in the next uh, you know one, two, three, four, five years. Uh, will enjoy the benefits of better nutrition, but um, at some point, say year four, five, six, everyone's going to know about it and be demanding um, uh, better nutrition. And you're probably going to start to see it in, um, you know, like healthcare statistics, uh, disease conditions, and stuff like that. You know, somewhere after that point. But um, the the key here is that I am. Uh, Dan Kittrich and the Bionutrient Food Association have uh, said recently within the last two years that they're, they're going to start to be more uh, vocal about this and be more, um, promote it more widely. Well, Whereas I'm sure they, they, pr they probably were keeping on the, I wouldn't say hush-hush, but on the down low until they could get enough proven data, right? You know, they, yeah. they, they got to get that proof of concept out there. It's just like basic, you can apply that to engineering, any other forms of science, or you got to get enough data uh, put together so it's less it has less chances to be argued or you know debunked uh by people with a lot of money that don't want to see that truth come out <laughs> exactly that that was that was the thought is 
you know, when it's in its infancy and they're not well-funded, it's, you know, uh, the big, the big boys could threaten the existence, but at some point it will be driven by, um, everyone, the, uh, the masses will demand it. And when people start seeing better health outcomes, then you're really going to see, you know, so, but one of the challenges in this is really how do you produce the best quality food and make it affordable for people? That's one of the challenges I hope to take up a little, you know, get involved in uh, supply, uh, some sort of marketing or business model enhancements that will uh, reduce the, the quality of the very best grown produce. But I, I think it can be done. Yeah, and if we can re- get the word out there better, right? Things like something as mm-hmm. simple as you get enough podcasts out there, you're going to build some momentum, right? You're going to get enough video content, audio content. It's that's the beauty of this modern age. Is granted, it you know the modern age also produces a lot of negative growth of content, but it takes people like yourself, me, and others out there to say, hey, let's let's spread the good word, okay? Let's get the good content out there. Let's get the steam, you know, pumping up. Let's. Picture like a big steam turbine. We, we got to build it up enough pressure uh, to create these positive results. Well, it's a big challenge, uh, Scott, because you know the the challenge has always been um, organic certified and all these different um, additional costs that the farmer must bear add a lot to the bottom line. Totally. You know, uh, hand, hand picking weeds out of your farm. Uh, you know, that's a big challenge. But we have nature on our side. And what I mean by that is through epigenetics, when you grow plants um, optimally, um, they'll do things like um, they they won't sprout quite as soon and they'll grow this massive root structure. Um, and so they're waiting, waiting, waiting when at the right time, they, they know they have the resources. So epigenetically, they go back to their 20,000 years of history and go, it, under these conditions, I'm going to grow um, optimally for these conditions. Mm-hmm. And so they'll produce, you know, the difference between a pumpkin that weighs 10 to 30 pounds, a normal pumpkin versus a pumpkin that weighs 2,500 pounds, you know, breaks world records. Yep. That That's the difference that we can, um, see with, uh, enhancing our farming practices beyond the ancestral maximum, you know, forget about that. That's going to be achieved relatively quickly within who knows, you know, three to six to eight years, we can get back to our ancestral maximums, but then we can use special tricks to exceed that. Like what if we use structured waters? What if we use certain, um, we protected plants, uh, um, against certain EMFs or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We we've got a lot of tricks in our bag by which we can reduce the cost too and that's really exciting for me because it's a bigger challenge. To your point, there's already been great uh I forget the scientists who have put out a couple of great videos on this about just something as simple as grass or those field grasses that we we plant and grow for, you know, animals to eat and things of that nature. You know, they they look at today, a lot of these root structures are shallow. They're not growing super, super deep because we've cracked the soil every single year and plow it, right? So they don't have a chance to really fortify themselves and secure and own that space. And then you look back ancestral years ago, you could have root structures going 10 feet deep. Uh, but to your point about you know a farmer having to pick weeds out of that because you need maximum density of the crop. Well, if you have a well-established crop and it's healthy and it's strong, those root structures are so dense and so strong and healthy, they'll prevent other 
you know, things that shouldn't be growing there from coming into that space as well. So you're actually helping its natural, back to your point, right? The epigenetics, right? It's, you're, you're resurrecting its knowledge from years ago. And it's like, hey, I'm going to control my space because I have a chance to, and I'm healthy enough and strong enough to do that and then result in a stronger, better crop. That's the other point uh, Dan talks about is when you have these higher order compounds, they become, the plants become indigestible to pests and they become more resistant to drought, more resistant to adverse conditions. And so that's another um, feather in our cap, so to speak. It makes these uh, better results almost inevitable. Um, Wait, so we're not going to have to spray chemicals all over it? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that, that goes along with it too. Like you cannot grow optimal um, produce uh, with with using glyphosate and all these pesticides because glyphosate is an outstanding chelator. Mm -hmm. It robs the soil of all the minerals, so the microbes can't get it, and then the plants can't get that stuff as well. And then you have to feed the plant like they're a, ho a helpless dependent. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to. Um, well, and then they're trying to bioengineer, you know, a you know, you know, bastardized sister plant of itself that's now resilient to those chemicals, right? Because it's okay, well, its original form, we made it weak. So then we got to make a chemical spray with that. But, oh, now we're hurting that. So now let's create a different version of it to be resilient to the chemicals and the insects. And now you've reprogrammed it so differently in the lab somewhere that that's probably resulting in a different nutrient density as well. If we could just restore the plants to their original strength, uh, you won't need all these extra steps, which is added costs and added negative side effects. They, they've built such a complex control grid that I thought it was impossible before. Like, how do we beat GMOs and, you know, glyphosate and all these other farming practices? Because we have to feed the world, they say, sure. you know, in order to produce the volume necessary to feed the people. But when you grow things uh, nature's way, then a lot of this stuff becomes just, uh, uh, how do I want to say, inevitable or... Um, it's the only way it can be done. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is the, um, the, the new paradigm will make glyphosate and, and herbicides and th this whole, the old factory farming ways obsolete yep. because you can't do it that way. It just doesn't work. Especially so, once you have the, the financial proof that, Oh, the ancestral plants, the ancestral nutrient density, I don't need as much to get so much. And so back to your point of trying to feed the world, because we do ship like container loads of grains overseas, which is also not needed. So if we can prove that here, then other countries can actually benefit from that resurrection of this knowledge base. And then they can start feeding themselves better as well. Because unfortunately, just like our pathetic multiple versions of our, you know, food pyramids or whatever we're calling it nowadays, other countries started thinking, oh, well, USA is so smart. Let's follow what they're doing. And we're obviously not because we have rampant disease, man-made diseases that we have created because of our so-called genius over these years. So it's, this is exciting because it can reach a worldwide impact, meaning less is more. Yes, exactly. That's a good point. It is a worldwide movement. And whether it originates in the U.S. and spreads elsewhere or it originates abroad and comes to the U.S., this is the direction that the entire food supply is going. So, like I say, it's it's going to be unstoppable um, soon. 
because the technology has already been uh, well underway. It's not new. Um, it's more like uh, um, about to go out of beta release into general release. And um, once you have a few early adopters uh, putting this information out, then um, you get a flood of people at some point a few years from now. And you were hinting about it from a technology standpoint earlier in the show. So are they, they're obviously trying to create this in a, in a handheld form, I'm guessing. Um, clearly, this, thing, this can't be just an app you stick on a smartphone. Uh, I, I know everybody wants everything to work off of a smartphone. So they're talking, about, they're talking about trying to get this to the point of a consumer-friendly or at least a business-friendly handheld device to do mm -hmm. the nutrient density scanning, mineral, mineral testing, et cetera, right? Yeah, it's a, a handheld device. It's been out for about, it, it's now in Gen 2, I think. It's been out for two or three years. And Dan has said they're going to probably skip Gen 3, go directly to Gen 4. Um, and it's a relatively inexpensive uh, uh, product, mm -hmm. consumer level product. And then they'll maybe have a commercial grade version. And at some point they ha hope to have um, incorporated the technology into iPhones and smartphones too. So you don't need a handheld device, but it's possible. And oh, so they've already, th they've already at least gotten it to the point where they know it could be possible to add this into the crazy repertoire world of smartphones and, and eventually get it to that point too. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, it, it is uh, spectroscopy. So okay. it's a, pr it's a proven technology and, you know, in the absence of me describing exactly the technology, most people go, oh, that, this is crazy. You know, how do you know it works? Well, this is how labs work and the, how they've worked for decades is th they measure nutritional content by spectroscopy. So they've just miniaturized the technology into a handheld device. That's all they've done. And uh, it, it's um, about six years ago, they, they, they've had this idea for a long time, but about six years ago, they go, well, the the technology is advanced enough so that we feel it's, it's it's the right time to start developing this. So they released it, you know, two two years ago, two three years ago, and it will eventually um, be uh, the cost will come down, the adoption will go up, and it will become a routine thing. Uh, so yeah, this is a really exciting when average consumers can see what's in there in their produce and make decisions based on real data instead of trust and faith. Yeah. I love this because, and again, for some of the listeners out there, I had to bring up a little screen share for you. I'm not going to be doing Wikipedia because I can't stand Wikipedia. So I'm going to use Britannica, uh, but I just wanted to find, you know, have spectroscopy. You know, it's the study of the absorption and emission of light and other radiation by matter as related to the dependence of these processes on the wavelength of the radiation. So spectroscopy, to your point, right, this is already being used in labs and, and scientific realms to do this whole measurement of, that, again, their key word there is absorption. Uh, but then they can use this to help basically reflect that mineral density that you're referring to, right? Right. Um, to be clear, what they're doing in the handheld device is they've taken this in a laboratory setting. Okay. They've zapped a fruit or vegetable, mm -hmm. and then they've processed it and you and and um, measured it with a large commercial grade spectroscope meter, all that, and correlated the results they get from just testing the skin of the fruit versus the flesh of the fruit. Mm -hmm. They correlate that together, 
And that's what you're actually getting when you have the handheld device. But they think that, you know, somewhere along the line, they can actually get the actual data from the flesh of the fruit um, in the not too distant future. I don't see why not. I mean, in, in a lot of fruits and vegetables, the, the flesh or the skin is used in a protective way. But let's think about this. If the fruit or vegetable that we're talking about is super, super nutrient dense, wouldn't that also reflect outwardly into how it comprises itself at the skin surface level, right? Because it's protecting itself, yeah. so, right? The, the better the produce or, or vegetable, whatever, that means it's going to be stronger and more nutrient-dense throughout the entire entity of itself, not just the insides, but the outsides. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it is somewhat of a proxy. It's um, a substitute. Um it's pretty cool because all, all this is based on quantum mechanics. And I started geeking out about the whole quantum theory and quantum mechanics. And, and I'm not even a scientist. And it's like, geez, it's a deep rabbit hole, ladies and gentlemen. So I'll warn you of that if you start digging into it. Uh, but that's why I bring experts on uh, like Randy who geeks out more than I do. So we can at least get this education to the masses in a more consumable and understandable way while the geniuses behind the scenes are working all this stuff, like again, at the Bionutrient Institute and, and, and those guys. So- yeah, let me uh, tell people a little bit about how that's set up. They've yeah. set up the Bionutrient Food Association as a nonprofit, and they're collecting the data, they're developing the technology by which you can measure it, and they're correlating that with the farming practices. So it's up to anybody that wants to participate, figure out how you could set up a for-profit organization that spreads this with, uh, I don't know, to restaurants, to uh uh, farmers markets, all this. It's a very interesting structure because they just have the data in the nonprofit and there's going to be uh, for-profit companies that spring up around this. And that's one of the things I am looking at um, with great interest. You know, how can we use their information and their efforts in a for-profit situation? So, well, I love that because from a nonprofit initiative, because I'm somebody who started my own charity, right? It attracts people. So they see like, okay, we're taking this very seriously. We're trying to do this in a nonprofit way to attract more donors, attract more support. Uh, but in the end, you still got to eventually reach a profitable situation, uh, which, uh, by the way, this, I'm doing a screenshot right now off of the bionutrientinstitute.org. Is this the mock-up of the actual handheld device that they have spinning on the screen here? It is. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it def it doesn't look like rocket science. It basically looks like a camera attached to a more of a handheld type of device there. So, um, yeah, right now they have several hundred of these on the market and they have, um, uh, they call them citizen scientists. They are zapping fruits and vegetables, um, in a organized way and collecting the data and it go the data goes back to the bionutrient food association yeah. and they're aggregating and then. Um, they're collecting a little bit of data about how the stuff has grown. If they have the ability to do that, like, uh, is this farmer using, uh, what watering practices, uh, tillage, uh, fertilizer, things like that. Yeah. What I love here is yeah. that in this quote from Dan, right? We could profoundly shift millions and millions of acres of farmland to much healthier ecosystem function as well as have positive effects on human health, everything you're talking about. And right here, this isn't about organic or conventional or regenerative. This is about life, nutrition, and health. And that's a very clean and very, very simple quote or statement. I, I, I love it because, again, 
a lot of these um, high numbers behind disease right now, cancer, heart disease, uh, diabetes, these are man-made diseases uh, that, to your point, I think earlier in the show, right, didn't exist not even hundreds of years ago, let alone barely 100 years ago. It has exponentially exploded uh, just after 1900 to 1950s. Uh, we just made a hot mess of everything. <laughs> yeah. And again, that goes back to nutritions and toxins, because when you don't have the correct nutrition, your DNA can't repair mm -hmm. the proteins, can't produce the right energy in the body, and it can't detoxify. So you increase the nutritional value of the stuff you're eating and you automatically be healthier. You, you can't help it. And then, um, What's like you, know, you brought up Dr. Jack Cruz, right? So he to, to date is still uh, the most downloaded episode of this show's history. Yeah. I heard him way back on episode 51, uh, back in 2017. And that episode, no one has beat his downloads because he's got one heck of a viral following. And that one was called <laughs> Your Mitochondria and Biohacking. And then because it did so well and I was worried about more people getting access to content, I went ahead and re-released it two years later, the same episode as episode 255. And I just called it the you know re-release of Mitochondriac versus Biohacker because he did a great job on that show explaining that. Uh, but the key word there is mitochondria, ladies and gentlemen. The mitochondria is the power plants within your cells. If you had to simplify it down to the most simplistic thing, like during this episode with you, Randy, I'm wearing my blue blocker glasses, right? Yes, that impacts sleep and everything else, but you know, water, hydration, you got to think about your, your cells as little, little pockets of energy, the little power plants. And like my verb or my key word and all of my brands is fuel. So when I think of what I think we're talking about here, nutrition, right? It's how we're fueling our body. And if you put pre, you know, super premium fuel into a race car, it's going to run better than on really cheap, junky, unleaded fuel, for example. Uh, it's like putting dirty, dirty electricity into a high performance machine, like, like a Tesla, Right, for example, it's not going to run as great on really dirty. And, and this is a thing, by the way. There is such a thing as dirty electricity. Uh, but again, how we fuel our systems, our bodies down to the cellular level can totally dictate to you, like you just said, how much faster and better our bodies can can fuel themselves from the inside out, heal, repair, recover. This has been proven. Mm -hmm. Scott, would you mind if we shift gears for a little? I see we're, we're uh, kind of. Um, I wanted to bring I was up hoping we're going to talk uh, about some positivity as well because yeah you you, they, they, you and I align in some other ways as well so I uh yeah we're uh running up on the uh coming close to the hour so I wanted to bring up one of the things I stumbled across uh, it's one of the deepest most profound ideas that I've ever run across and um I just kind of stumbled across it so a thing that Dan Kittredge said, and another uh, guy that I associate of mine, they encouraged me to think along these lines. And I go, guy, you know, how do I reconcile these two beliefs? Okay. Um, on one side, Dan doesn't like to to dwell too much on problems. He doesn't, you know, like the negative energy of focusing on the source of the problems, the who who is behind these problems and their agenda. Um. But me, I've always, I'm a big believer in when you fully understand a problem, you when you completely understand problems, many of them cease to exist. They and that's the way the universe is set up. You know, I like the, that. The, me the meaning of life is to learn, to evolve, and to grow. 
And when you learn your life lesson that you were meant to learn from these life circumstances, then the the problem or their issue has no serves no useful purpose in your life. Well, because you so, remove the 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 negative power around that, right? So once you've, I, I like where we're going. Let me pause on this. I like where you're going with this because, in the, over the years of this show, I myself have watched the movie, read the books, you know, law, of, you know, the law of attraction and the secret and all these things. And mm-hmm. at the very beginning, years ago, when I because I just didn't know enough, it sounded woo woo and and weird, right? And and again, experts in that movie and in that book, right? Quantum uh, mechanics, quantum sciences, things of that nature. And again, whether some people want to align with religion, some people want to align with energy of the universe on the science side. I could care less which side of the camp you're on. I agree with your point. I'm wrapped around that like you. I like to, I did a whole uh, analysis on myself years ago and I, I was what's called a spatial thinker. So when I see a problem or a challenge, I like to break it all down, understand everything about it, and then start putting it back together and just realign it in that positive way. Like to your point, right? Like, well, now that I understand everything, well, let's skip that negative. Let's skip that negative. I don't care anymore. I've already, I've already conquered that. Let's focus on what's going to bring a positive result from it. Is that kind of what you're trying to go with there? Yeah. So there's a lot of the um, different ways of thinking about manifestation and problems. And we have the law of attraction. We have the power of positive thinking. We have the hundredth monkey effect. And uh, we have these life lessons that that I just kind of described. So I had to reconcile this in my mind because these people are bringing up very valid points. You don't want to dwell on the negative. So I've developed what I call, I just, before we got on, I came up with the phrase, a grand unified field theory of manifestation. That's that's a phrase. (laughs) (laughs) And and it goes like this. Um, On one side of, on one camp, you have people that are love and light and angels and just, Think about the positive and you'll manifest that. On the other side, if you understand a problem completely, it ceases to exist. So which is right? And the way I have, uh, the understanding I've come to is that you want to take a problem and you want to deconstruct it. You want to assemble, examine all the pieces and you want to understand who is behind it, what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that is often a very negative way to think. It's very depressing. You know, people go, doesn't all this talking about the problems really depress you? And no, well, it, when you have this new strategy, you don't need to be. Mm-hmm. But I think you even need to get into, um, immerse yourself in the fear and the anger but not stay in there. So you need to deconstruct the problem and absorb and think about the the fear and the anger when you have a solution. Because if you don't have the solution, you could inadvertently reinforce that problem True. by calling it into existence. But in this in this instance, Dan Kittredge is proposing the solution to just a, me- a massive amount of problems we have in the entire society, not just, you know, with farm. We're talking about chronic disease and economics, banking, corruption, everything like that. Because he's proposing the solution, I'm proposing. So his solution you- is kind of based on he's finding the root cause, 
But in his world, you were saying he doesn't like to dwell on the negatives around it, the triggers and stuff. He's just going right for the solution, right? Right. Okay. And see that that's that's a um, a methodology by which uh, big pharma and the mainstream media get you caught in these fear loops. Mm -hmm. Is uh, you know every everything is uh, you're you're going to die and everything's terrible and uh, you need to take this drug and no one's going to you know whether yeah. it's money or government or what have you. Pharmaceutical uh, band the negative news networks, right? Yeah, I tell you all the time if, if you want if you want to have to get start weaning yourself off of antidepressants. Uh, no joke. I tell people, stop watching the news. That's a good step in the right direction. <laughs> exactly. They sell things based on fear. Of course, we we know that, and we've actually heard this from the newsroom that you know the comments to producers to you know you you got to create more fear, more fear, yeah. more, more fear sells the audience and it sells their products that result that they sell on the back end from that. Yeah. So that's the way the whole thing is. You know. Um, whether it's mainstream media or alternative media, like, you know, guys like Alex Jones, or even if they're saying things that you agree with, they're inadvertently reinforcing the paradigm. So if they were controlled opposition, they're inadvertently being ineffective, you know, at solving the problems because they're raising awareness, but they're not presenting any solutions. And at the same time, at the same time, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. I exactly what I was going to say. Oh, no, I was going to ask but, you just um, to keep you on target. The again, you were calling it the Grand Unified Field Theory. Did I get that right? Uh, yeah, Grand yeah. Unified Field Theory of Manifestation. A manifestation. But, right. Yeah, but but let, let me take it from there. Um, I think we should focus then on the solutions and and deconstruct them in the same way. You know, uh, how we're going to solve these problems. And then put our appreciation and our gratitude around um, the solution. So you're dwelling on the positive energy with the solution. Whereas if you don't have two sides, the problem and the solution, you're putting the fear uh, on a temporary state of understanding the problem. And then you put wrap the solution around with love and gratitude mm -hmm. and positive energy and spend most of your time thinking about that. That is how you actually manifest. That's how you call things into reality that have thus far been very fragmented because you have all these people with partial solutions and they're not doing it correctly. Like just raising awareness is good in itself, but it's not going the full distance. Yeah. You need like a, um, Oh God, let's think about the, the different intensities of like the heat of the sun versus other stars, right? They talk about there's red, hot, white, hot, you know, blue, there's blue, like different temperatures of lights, right? So there's that heat, that intensity. So uh, I like where you're going with there because if you're, yes, you can, you can bring some of this, this positive results in just through the law of attraction by being more positive. But I like your point here. If you truly don't understand all of the segments of that thought process or that problem, uh, how how else can you then kick the negatives out because you didn't address them? You didn't at least recognize that they were there. Skip, you know, then now you can move past them and, and create that manifestation, that law of attraction on, okay, here's the positive results with these positive steps, with these positive people, with these positive actions. Yeah, you need that whole cycle to really complete it and manifest in a powerful way because, um, you know, like the law of attraction, the little movie thing, is they they focus they overly focus on just the positive because fear and 
love are polar opposites in love is it's like twice the energy level, mm -hmm. you know? It's literally a faster waveform. So the reason why it works and is more powerful than fear is because it has twice as much opportunity to intersect with reality. Mm -hmm. um, but that's where a lot of people get things wrong, focusing on one thing and not another. Um, well, I like and, your point uh, that you, you're not, like, for example, you're not part of the term. You're not poo-pooing what Dan Kittredge's angle is, right? He's just going right for the for the solution. I like your angle where, okay, well, let me, let me build off of what Dan's doing. Because a lot of great, successful people in our history, they didn't always have 100% of the solution. They had a powerful component of it. And it takes sometimes a team of influencers and people to bring about the full fruition of an epic and like positive shift in the universe if you want to go to that level or in this case we're just trying to shift <laughs> you know nutrient density and the reduction of disease and a better life you know in our lifetimes uh, but i like your point here because if you could truly gather it from a full perspective you're creating a massive shift that's going to transcend time it's going to it's not just in our lifetimes right and i think yeah. you got to build that that heat up with a ton of positive fuel, but to your point, understanding all components of that before you can get that true massive shift. Yeah, the Bible talks about that when multiple people pray in a certain about a certain topic or a certain thing they want to call into existence, it amplifies and geometrically the power of that request. And they've also done some studies where people pray about a certain thing, like reducing world hunger or certain instances, and they can, you know, reduce that with getting multiple people to think along the same lines at the same time. So mm -hmm. that's what this is all about. This one episode here is I am sending the call out. I need uh, consciousness pioneers to help bring this new paradigm of the real food wave into existence. This real food wave to just to backtrack and explain what that means is it's literally a wave. It's a tidal wave that's going to raise all ships and right. Yeah. So um, it, it's going to inevitably raise all ships. And what I'm uh, seeking is people to get the benefits early on in the first few years when this better food and better way of doing things becomes available. They will be the first ones to benefit, whereas some people are going to only hear about this and jump on board five years from now. Yeah. So that's what gut brain secrets to put it into a new, better context. That's what it's about is understanding all the, uh, the ways farming practices that grow better food. You need to understand the things like glyphosate GMOs, how they're tying that in with, um, you know, selling more drugs. You, you need to understand things that would potentially be, um, depressing and, um, not positive but well, it's a lot yeah, easier for a pharmaceutical company to make a drug as a pharmaceutical band-aid if they already know the raw ingredients that were triggering the problem to begin with they just don't want to mm -hmm. admit that oh that there's your root cause and and they're saying oh we have the again the band-aid because i tell you all the time the drug's not fixing the problem it's just a it's a temporary solution if you remove the trigger point you know the root cause now you don't need the drug and your body's healing and recovering and, but they don't want to hear that because there's no money behind that. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and and think, what you're uh, talking about, gathering this, uh, I was taking notes here, the consciousness pioneers, right? Amplifying the real food wave, getting that tidal wave to raise all ships. Is this everything like a formula behind that? Is it what you call it, the hundred monkeys effect? The hundredth monkey effect, hundredth, uh, just hundredth, yes. hundredth monkey effect is they, uh, there was an island that they did a study on the, there was a group of monkeys on one side of the island that was separated from the other side by a mountain range. So they did not interact when one group learned how to, I don't know, it was crack a certain mollusk or something, or so, they found a way to feed themselves in a certain way. And the other side because the conscious, the this new knowledge uh, permeated the consciousness, the other side picked this up um, and learned it just by osmosis. It was just a consciousness. It, it permeated the consciousness. Mm. They weren't taught directly, so that's a very powerful thing. A lot of people reference this, but what I uh, what I'm saying here is, we can help manifest this faster and more powerfully by having uh, early adopters get on board with this new way of thinking and oh, yeah. new way of doing things. And whether it's gut brain secrets or just listening to uh, some of Dan's uh, interviews, we need to get people thinking about this and doing it because it's going to accelerate adoption so much more rapidly. Whereas large companies, they would spend millions and millions of dollars to push a new product out in the market they use money and they use their uh you know ad uh ad dollars and promotions social media and everything else modern marketing but, yep but this is a grassroots movement and so we need to use techniques like this that are more guerrilla style get people thinking along these lines and doing it and then the mass will the masses will follow well i think from the you were hinting about doctors i think our initial uh more easily attained adaptation is going to be the, because there's been a massive spike in growth in functional medicine doctors, as well as, you know, the chiropractic world, which is triggering a shift in the MD world. I know MDs that are now going back to study functional medicine practices uh, and some of that more, you know, the old Eastern medicine to align with the modern pharmaceutical Western medicine, because that's what they were taught in school, right? The Western medicine and realizing, wait a minute, I missed a whole segment of history here. <laughs> uh, and as they've matured in their practice and they realize, you know, the drugs weren't fixing everything and maybe surgery isn't everything and other, you know, other topics for a whole different show. Uh, I've, I know for a fact, multiple doctors that I've been connected with over the years have now expanded and they care enough to go back to the drawing board, so to speak, right? Reinvest in education and knowledge from other sources. So I definitely feel that if I was looking at this from the outside in, I feel like definitely you're going to see a massive adaptation uh, with enough uh, horsepower behind us, so to speak, from the functional medicine side, the chiropractic side. And definitely now it's just going to take a little bit longer and slower, unfortunately, that the, the modern MDs, uh, the ones who care enough to keep studying and going outside of the, the curve, so to speak, uh, are definitely going to jump on this as well. Yeah, it's it's funny. We've uh, raised their consciousness about the microbiome over the last few years, and we're even getting a few of them on board with, uh, you know, how the, the effects of light on our physiology and oh, yeah. <laughs> grounding and things like that. We They seem to believe in my, uh, the power of the mitochondria now. I think uh, most of them accept that. And which is a fairly new understanding, actually. Only within the last 10 years have uh, most of them jumped on board with that. That's, but, that's uh, about new- right, actually. Now you're thinking, I didn't really think about it. But yeah, that is, I guess, a more of a, you're looking at the explosive keyword growth, video growth, 
Uh, and actually, if I just look over my history of the show, definitely the past 10 years, mitochondria education has exploded and, and awareness around it because now people yeah. realize, oh, yeah, it's not just about, you know, protons, neutrons, electrons, right? We're, we're talking about the, the power plants within your cell, the mitochondria. Yeah, so. it's the electrical charge or the redox potential, as uh, Jack Cruz calls it, there you go. or the voltage, as Jerry Tennant calls it. But yeah, they're that's a fairly new understanding most of them don't really um see the value in it quite yet but yeah they they will <laughs> oh yeah well and again back to our whole point during this show you change the fuel source you increase the nutritional density once our bodies are able to process that we're just pouring, pouring like high octane fuel right into the tank. I mean, that's, that's what, the, and the mitochondria, they're just going to, they're going to rip the lid off. They're like, yes, this is what I've been asking for, right? You know, healthy light influence, healthy water, healthy food. I could put all this stuff together and I can, I could just higher voltage, man, better results, a higher performing machine, because we are basically amazing machines if we take care of ourselves and if we influence ourselves at the cellular level with the right resources. But you see the shortcomings of the way people have approached all these problems um, recently and in, well, up to this point is they're either focused on the problems or they're focused on the solutions, but they don't really have a unified way of thinking about this. Like, I see this all the time when people get interviewed and they have these subject matter experts talking about this thing and they kind of surface level cover it. Yep. And then the host immediately goes, well, what are the solutions? What do we do about it? I don't like to bring this stuff up um, uh, without a solution. And, you know, who's right? Both sides are right because, gosh, if, if you don't have the solution, um, that's an issue. And if you don't understand the problem, that's an issue too. Yeah. So I'm saying like virtually no one gets this right. I haven't heard anyone talking about this stuff the way I'm talking about it now. It's like, well, I, that's, wow. why, that's why I had to have you back on to get a part two to really dial this all in because it's exciting because it can't be, well, I guess it could have been discussed in one show. We would have been on the microphones for a long time though. <laughs> uh, but it's important to get an expanded perspective so people can digest this content and start thinking about this for themselves because that's the thing. You're going to have people listening to these two episodes and they're not ready to comprehend it yet. It might still be a little out there, but people like myself years ago, once I started hearing this more and more and getting to talk to people like yourself who care enough about this content, that threw me down the rabbit hole because next thing you know, I'm doing that research or I'm trying to find other intelligent influencers to come on and talk about these subjects over the years to keep digging deeper, right? Keep building that you, content. You, you need to understand the problem completely yeah. You know, what produces it in the body? Is it a deficiency of certain minerals, inability to detoxify? You know, what is it? Yeah. Whereas most people just, you know, oh, let's let's just take this product. Let's, uh, I have this cluster of symptoms and I'm just going to take some supplement into hoping that it, it it's my salvation, basically, <laughs> you know? Whereas well, if you I, really, I warned truly... People, I showed them during the show here today, right? The Mitochondriac at Manifesto is your first book. And then the second book, The, the Gut Brain Secrets, they're deep dive books. On the first episode, I warned people. I'm like, hey, guys, if you want to geek out, <laughs> you could dive deep, and there's going to be some heavy-hitting content. And actually, I recommend it on airplanes. I'll tell you that right there. If you're ever on an airplane, 
that's a good book because if you just if you need to like cancel people out, throw some headphones in, just to quiet out, and just sit there and read, stop watching movies on on the headrests or or on your smartphones, or whatever you're doing when you fly. Uh, I use I take advantage of flights all the time now to catch up on my physical reading when I'm not consuming audiobooks, and I found it that was probably some of the best ways for me to absorb uh, the content in your books. I, I, I didn't get to tell you on the last episode that, so I've been flying. However, I so. But I think people should read it with purpose, both of them, yes. because they're they're somewhat encyclopedic. Um, I made them as readable as possible, just straight through. But the purpose of reading them is to fully understand the problems and where you know to deconstruct all these issues that happen in the body. So you know it's much easier to solve them because you know the true root cause of it. Yeah, and um, there's no better books that kind of deconstruct the problems in a in a simplified way and you know what i didn't mention this on the first show i'm glad we're talking about the books as we're coming towards the end of the show you're not a normal author right so what is the recommended way that i can release in the show to help people track down these books that i already have because you were kind enough to send them to me uh over the past well the first one was probably over a year ago and then obviously gut brain secrets was more recently in the past year as well so what is your recommended sourcing for people to get a hold of this content if they're ready to start doing the deep dives and they're ready for some heavy lifting and some heavy reading to really wrap their heads around this with purpose uh, one place you can get them if you want to avoid uh, Amazon is Avatar <laughs> avatarproducts.com. That's Sophia Smallstorm's uh, online store. Okay. Um, they are also uh, available in hardback through anywhere that books are sold. Um, the company that's uh, offering them is um, uh, Ingram Spark, which is a worldwide distributor. Okay. Or, or I should say Ingram. Is um, that I-N-G-R-A-M? So yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can get them anywhere books are sold. I, I recommend the hard hardback oh, versions. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're uh, much better production quality. And the last resort is they are available. Um, well, the mitochondriac manifesto is available on Amazon oh, in okay. paperback. In paperback. Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, the gut brain secrets was definitely the more recent one you sent me, and I absolutely loved it. I'm actually out to play around on Ingram uh, Ingram Spark. I've never been on there before, actually, but I have heard of Avatar Products. She must have been mentioned by somebody else I had on the show uh, because a while back I was looking for a source of LED like full full spectrum uh, bulbs because I still use incandescents because I don't like all these modern LEDs with their light frequencies. Again, whole different show, ladies and gentlemen. But <laughs> yeah, Sophia has some very interesting targeted products on her page. Uh, like she has some magnesium creams and um, uh, sleeping products, light products. Yeah, yeah cell phone shielding. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well. We've covered another part two, a lot of stuff tonight. Um, we're tying these together. I'm making sure both episodes release back to back. So obviously, once people have heard this, if you didn't go back and listen to the first one, like I suggested at the beginning of the show, uh, definitely go back and listen to the episode right before this so you could tie it all together. Hopefully, you did pause and say, hey, let me listen to part one, then listen to part two. It all does dial together nicely. It does connect up. You want to do some deep diving. Now you know how to get all the books. I'm going to make sure all these links online are in the show notes as well so people can get a hold of your books, whichever platform they prefer. Maybe you're Avatar fan. Maybe you're the Ingram fan. Maybe you're the Amazon fan. Who cares, right? Knowledge is power, but it's only powerful if you can get a hold of it. And I liked your key word here. Consuming it with purpose is huge. That's the big thing that people don't do. 
Yeah, it's not an ordinary book, both of them. Um, and, uh, and, oh, good. You're yeah. screen sharing here at the end. Yes, I wanted to make sure this graphic made it up here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, you can watch this on YouTube. I'm, this graphic that he's sharing, I'm going to use in the actually episode art. So you'll see this in the Facebook world, the Instagram world, the YouTube world. Uh, but why don't you talk through this to help uh, as we bring in the show towards the end? So this is all the inputs to food quality and the outcomes that result from it. And there is just a massive amount of things that happen in our lives and in society that are impacted by food quality from mental health, autism, ADD, to chronic disease, to psychosocial, like uh, childhood development and relationships. It, uh, consciousness is impacted, definitely. Society in general um, business outcomes from reducing healthcare insurance costs to reducing uh, absenteeism and increasing creativity of the company that provides health insurance. Uh, corruption and control will dramatically be reduced because you'll um, remove their funding sources of the corruption. The huge Im environmental impacts, um, uh, you know, climate change and all this kind of stuff. Well, that will automatically be reduced when you grow things better because uh, poor farming practices uh, wreck the economy, basically. And then you have farming practices, the um, the lives of farmers themselves will dr be dramatically increased when you uh, grow things properly and you grow things in accordance with nature's ways. And then, um, yeah, so a lot of things you can delve into this. It's a mind map and there's a lot, there's elements behind each of these that we're looking at. So there's how many 10 elements and an average of 10 things behind each yeah, section. I say, I, yeah, if there's 15 hot points tied into food quality inputs and out outcomes you had here, it's interesting how you, it's not, you could have kept going. Uh, was there anything, I, just, I like a little what and why behind things. Is there any reason why you stopped with the 15? It was, it was just going to get too busy or this was just your, because again, there's so much going on nowadays. I'm sure years ago, you could have stopped with just five, uh, but <laughs> things have gotten so uh, it's, challenging. It's, it's all the major ones. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to this. Yep. And yes, Imagine oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, he, what he's showing you right now, we're going to make sure this is linked in the show notes as well. You can bring the image up and you'll actually be able to click on each one and he's expanding them and then showing you all the components that make up, for example, psychosocial or consciousness or the societal impacts. I love your mind map, man. Well done. Yeah, there is a massive amount of things. It's actually hard to believe how many things kind of go through food quality, how many things are impacted. Yeah. Well, control and corruption, that was a fun one. When I expanded that one, um, after you sent me the link on the last episode, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot more on that one than I expected. But it, it's a great way you summed them all up. But again, you see how the grand unified field theory of manifestation mm -hmm. um, is uh, should play a big part in this or uh, needs to because if you dwell too long and all the things that are wrong with society and all the things we're doing that are, you know, an existential crisis, then you could get, you could get caught in those fear loops. Yeah. Whereas I'm offering just 
paradigm shifting solutions here that are like meta strategies to solve these problems. <laughs> well, it's, so. you know, I, I mean, just to tie it back to classes I took at the university, right? Like I, I couldn't stand financial education. That's why I outsource it. But you know, the, the keywords of micro and macroeconomics, right? Okay. Well, you're, yes, yep. There's a big, there's a big scale version. Then there's all the little components versions that make it all up. So you have to sometimes break things out, understand what's, what all the components are to you. And then to your point, and then, okay, great. Let's, let's move past them. Don't dwell on them. Now you at least know about them. You understand them. They're there, but let's move forward. Let's move forward on that positive next step to get to where we need to go. Because to your point, I could dwell on that to the end of time. I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm just going to be in this, this negative Nancy. I'm going to be in this negative state and I'm not going to attract the right next steps, the right people to surround and align myself with. Although I think it will take some practice, um, you know, it, giving your gratitude and appreciation that these solutions now exist and putting positive energy around these solutions, because uh, it's so foreign to most people. They spend all their time in fear, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm unusual in that I can think about these problems and detach myself from this and not worry about it continually. But um, people are going to have, it's, it's a practice people are going to have to um, practice being appreciative, you know, and having gratitude. So oh, that, that's an early thing I, I did start doing years ago too, was that daily, the daily reflection or the daily manifestation, right? Reflecting on, listen, especially in the modern era, we're going to be bombarded with so much. And again, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be able to see it on his mind map, but like, okay. And a lot of it's, a lot of it's on purpose too. Oh Yeah. That's oh, there's plenty of evidence behind that, especially like as you and I are recording this. There's a lot of things happening in this whole this, this country right now. Now, granted, these are new things compared to last year and compared to the year before, right? It's just they're going to keep going with the negatives. Okay, I, I don't have time for that. I, I have a life to live of positive results, so I could bring about positive change for other people that are around me. Or in this case, right? Podcast. That's why I love about podcasting. We're not going to dwell on the negative. We're here to appreciate the fact that you and I can create this time freedom to get on the microphones and talk about this thing and then expand on that gratitude of knowing that, hey, man, I at least have now the wherewithal and the audience to at least get this message out there. And then hopefully they can spread it to others as well. That's something that I'm always grateful for is that's why people are like, oh, do you make money on your podcast? I'm like, no, I do lots of other things to make plenty of money. I'm fine. The podcasting thing, I said from the beginning, I will never purposely do this to make money. I'm here to just spread education and positive results. I'm not, I'm not a guy who's going to dwell on all this negative inflammatory stuff. You want that? Go waste your life and watch the negative news networks. I, I stopped watching that a long time ago. I don't have cable for a reason. There's a lot of steps I've taken over the years to get where I'm at today. And I'm grateful for where my wife and I have gotten, but there's still a lot more growth for us to have too. And But back to your point, right? In order to get there and get to those next steps, we have to keep going. And in order to do that, you have to keep doing positive steps, being appreciative, being grateful, and then aligning with people like yourself to help get that word out to other people. And we can all get there together, but it's just going to take the right energy to work together to get there. Yeah. Now we have a strategy to do that, and we have the solution for a lot of these mega problems in society. And um, so I encourage people to check out Dan Kittredge's work, um, what he used to call the real food campaign. I'm just kind of using new language around it. I think it's a tidal wave. Yeah. So I'm excited for it. Well, yeah. listen, yeah. Randy, 
we're going to bring the show to a close because there's been a lot to suss that I got a lot of links to copy and paste to get, we're going to have a nice robust show notes for you, uh, which it's important so people can find this stuff. And again, ladies and gentlemen, remember these episodes, if you're listening to the podcast world, sometimes just clicking through stuff on the show notes on the apps isn't as easy. Remember all these shows are published forever on livethefuel.com because I know after 100, 200 past episodes, some episodes are hard to find over the years, like the old Jack Cruz. It's okay. It's all on livethefield.com. You'll be able to find it. Uh, but Randy, how would you sum all of tonight up, or maybe the last episode, because I asked you the same question, if there was going to be a legacy message to leave behind, something to help just funnel it all down, get it very, very focused from a messaging standpoint that you want to leave behind for the audience, how would you do that? How would you leave behind? What are those words you want to hmm. share here at the end? Because there's a lot. <laughs> hmm. your mind map's already I, doing a lot Dan Kittress is doing a lot I love your quote that I already took note of here right the uh, I actually create a little formula in my notes here right consciousness pioneers the real food wave a tidal wave to raise all ships the hundredth monkey effect uh, but your quote earlier the grand unified field theory of manifestation there's a lot here I mean is there a way you want to simplify it or sum it all up um, I would say this is um it's a it's a going concern and it's been in progress for quite some time. So now it's going to start to gain traction and it will be unstoppable very soon. And these consciousness pioneers that are seeing this show can participate in in manifesting this more powerfully and sooner so that it will be unstoppable. And uh, we can fix a lot of these problems that have existed forever that seemed like they had no solution. But you can be part of the solution by on a grassroots level. So this is your call to action. Learn about the problems, understand them, hopefully get past them into solutions. Um, and you can uh, be part of the solution for a lot of the stuff in, uh, in our lives and in society. Well said, sir. Well, uh, besides that, I was actually one last question I had outstanding was, with everything going on, and obviously this 100th monkey effect you're talking about, and with everything that Dan is doing, I know through the charity site, that's probably a big thing for him and his following. Is that where you're trying to direct people? If there's a you know, hop on email lists or, or be a part of that uh, community, is, there a, is that where we're trying to direct people as far as a regular following in case they want to get more involved? Yeah, they are currently raising money to do the laboratory testing. Each crop that they test is a certain number, like I don't know, twenty five, fifty thousand dollars, whatever it is. Wow. I frankly, I'm considering um, uh, helping with uh, uh, create a campaign probably later in the year to raise money to accelerate the um, the development of the of the nonprofit and and anything that I might do as a result of it. I'm. Considering that as a project in the mid to long term. You might so, have some great but, success uh, in the, as if anybody has tried this yet, the crowdfunding circuit. Um, I've worked on multiple campaigns and had great success that way. I've helped a couple of charities launch doing it that way as well. Uh, since I'm a sales and marketing professional, that's how I make my money. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I was going to say, that's just some tips. Um, and again, we could talk offline like that if you want to do better. I mean, I'm excited what you guys are doing. Um, so if obviously if I could lend a hand, I'm, I'm documenting it right here on the show live. I'm happy to, to share best practices if it could possibly put some fuel on the fire, so to speak, uh, for uh, these next steps you got you're talking about right now. Yeah, but, but I did want to mention people can donate to his nonprofit. I believe it's, you know, 
tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. I don't have anything to do with their company or or their entity right now, but um, I'm kind of involved in an ancillary way at this point. Well, and I love that. It's actually, it adds to more of that realness and the truth. Like, hey man, I have nothing to do with him. I just respect what he's doing. I respect what his community has been built. It's great that they have the nonprofit status that does help attract more donations. I I have my own charity that I founded that my book benefits, so I get that. I'm actually working on a a, a colleague, a a friend of mine, helping get their charity going because I've been basically helping them run their annual events through my own charity because their founder had passed away and they never got that dialed in. And I'm excited to help them, you know, not need me forever and, and grow. So sometimes it takes people like you, me and others just to get the word out about other exciting things. Uh, but obviously, if and when those next steps happen, if you need to do something separate from what he's doing, I'm happy to uh, follow up and have you back on the show. And we can talk more about that in the near future as well. So mm-hmm. well, yeah. listen, Randy, well, is there anything else you want to add to the show? Uh, one last point. Wouldn't it be cool? You've been to biohacking conferences. Wouldn't it be cool to evaluate those technologies and figure out how to use them in, uh, farming practices and elevating society in general? That's kind of what I, uh, another big, big point is anyone can participate in this. I was going to say, man, you draw in the mitohackers or uh, as, as, uh, you know, Jack Cruz calls them his, uh, his mitochondriacs, the biohackers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The biohacks. That's a big community now. And now you're talking about tying together data and actual results. That's, and that's exciting. Everyone, anyone can be a part of it. Uh, you just have to have a little creativity and a little, uh, you know, proactivity. Yeah. Well, I love it. Well, listen, Randy, hang tight. When you brought our goodbye off the air, ladies and gentlemen, We've talked a lot up tonight, and again, episode one, now episode two, uh, there, there's a massive movement here. There's a lot of stuff coming soon, okay? Already happening, but a lot more coming soon per Randy here. So the real food wave, again, part one, part two with Randy Lee. Thank you for listening. And I think these two episodes truly do reinforce how far Live the Fuel has come, what this show is all about, right? We're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. And the reason why I've always positioned health first is because it matters, okay? This is what we're talking about. So fuel your bodies right. Uh, Pretty soon, if you want to jump in and be an early adopter of what we're talking about here, follow this content. All these links will be in the show notes. And how cool would it be to scan the things that you're going to put in your body and know you're putting in the best possible produce, the best possible vegetables, food supplies, etc. This is exciting times. All right. This is all positive information. So ladies and gentlemen, remember, you too could live the fuel. We'll talk to you guys again soon.